Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hey Chris, do you ever get the sense that humanity is sprinting off a cliff toward mass extinction? What with sea levels rising, more homeless polar bears, more bushfires, more singed koala bears? Man, the bears really are feeling the brunt of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, what if I said that a humble car company could fix all our woes? A car company, you say? A car company that doubles as an energy company. A car company that doubles as an energy company? Like it offers massive-sized combustion engines that you fill with petrol to run a city's power? You're clearly on the goes again, Jason. Stone cold sober, my friend. And what I mean is an electric car company who takes the batteries that power their cars, makes way bigger versions of them that can power a city. Oh, right. Uh, And that exists? Like in your tiny Australian imagination? It exists and it's operating and it's called Tesla. Tesla has been powering 30,000 homes in Adelaide, Australia for the past year using a gigantic car battery, sort of, saving residents 116 million Australian dollars and reducing the cost to run the existing power grid by 91%. And it only took them 70 days to set it up and plug the bastard in. Whoa, that's amazing. And what was that little environmental bit for this episode? No, no, it's not just some little environmental bit. I'm here to announce the Tesla, the car company that can power your city. Or Tesla, the energy company that can power your car, is a new sponsor of the lab. So, get the Find the wheel of a Tesla or power your city with a Tesla. Either way, you're saving all the bears, polar and koala, reversing global warming and doing it all stylishly and silently. Shouldn't we tell Texas about this? Probably. So today on the Recombobulator Lab, we have Chanel Contos, a young Australian currently completing a Master's in Gender Studies at UCL in London. Chanel came to prominence in Australia in March this year via an online petition she started to lower the age at which Australians learn about consent in schools. So along with the petition, she asked firstly her friends and then the broader community if they had been sexually assaulted while at school. 6,000 statements later and Chanel has started Australia's own Me Too movement. In parallel, victims of sexual assault in Australia's parliament have emerged making the issue of Australia's toxic male culture headlines this month in the media. Welcome, Chanel. Welcome, Chanel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Gosh, can I just quickly remind ourselves, you've just had a birthday. Are you 21 or 22? So no, I'm 23. That's some Jason math right there. (laughs) So Chanel, it's great to meet you. Tell me how all this came about. Did it really start just amongst your friends? Yeah, it definitely did. So it's been a few things that have compiled over the last, I guess, since I learned what consent was. My first reaction when I got to told what consent was, was to tell authorities at my school that we didn't learn that early enough. It was literally the first thing I did when I walked out of that seminar and was told that it's not age appropriate for anyone younger than we were at the time. And then, you know, I obviously have a passion for gender and I've, uh, I studied gender education, international development and the interaction between them. So I've always seen education as a catalyst for change. Then last year I was with some friends and there were four of us there. We went to different private girls schools around Sydney and, you know, we were friends when we were younger, but a lot closer now. And it was a sleepover, and, you know, we're getting pretty deep with the conversations and started sharing um, our stories of sexual assault. And basically all of us had them. And we also had unlimited stories of our friends that we all knew who had them. And in this conversation, it came up when I told my story to my friends, I named the perpetrator because, you know, it's my friends. One of my friends was like, wait, that wasn't you. 
here, that was our other friend. I was like, oh, I'm pretty pretty sure that was me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, the same perpetrator had um, committed, again, the same very similar offense a year later with another one of my close friends. And, you know, we had never spoken about it until this week, actually. But anyway, that really, I really struggled to sleep that night. I mean, like, I was really, like, triggered by it and shaking and all clammy. And it was one of the first times I had really experienced, I guess, like, yeah, the feeling of being really triggered from my experience since I had the idea for this petition. So I reached out to a few of my friends to ask them if they would submit testimonies of sexual assault. And these were my friends that I knew it had happened to, had spoken about it with me personally, things like that. And I collected like maybe 10 or something. My plan was to give them directly to the schools and ask for change. Fast forward a year, I got distracted. I ended up moving to London and kind of sidelined that project. I also, as I said, only collected about 10 testimonies at the time. And then I was with my friend in London and we were both crying, talking about our sexual assault experiences. And um, especially my friend was really distressed by theirs and how much it was impacting them years later. And, you know, they were talking to me about it because I actually witnessed their sexual assault experience and stopped it. We were just sitting there thinking, do they even know they've done this to us? Like, do they have idea they've committed sexual assault do they know that however many years later eight nine ten years later we are in tears about it and we came to the conclusion that no they didn't and then in response i posted an instagram story asking um if you're from sydney have you or anyone close to you ever been sexually assaulted by someone who went to a single sex boys school and in 24 hours 200 people said yes and at the same time i asked if you went to an all boys school in sydney do you think any of your friends has ever sexually assaulted anyone and 50 people said yes which is still a lot of people said yes yeah it's a massive discrepancy and the amount of people who feel they have been sexually assaulted and the amount of people who you know thought that someone they were friends with or that themselves had sexually assaulted someone and then the petition started yeah that's incredible that's amazing some context for our american audience sydney is incredibly unique of major cities around the world in that we have a high number of single sex private schools in a very tight location and living in the u.s for 10 years i was observing that going oh that's interesting and i went to a single sex boys school down the road from the school that Chanel went to. So this is all very close to me and the this world that we live in here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So just for some context, because I know Americans are like, what's what's that about? So it's just kind of unique. Yeah. Chanel, this is a massive question, <laughs> but what if we think about it, what are the main drivers behaviorally? How does how does this occur? What can you sort of identify it? That's question one. And two is is it unique in Australia? Okay, so well interesting that you brought up the fact that, you know, single sex school the prominence of single sex schools in Australia is it's different. It's not like that in other high income countries. And I think it's largely because of our like large Catholic sector and independent sector. That means private schools um, are accessible for like a range of different income types. But I think there's a few things. So basically mm. I attribute the forces that have created this environment that I call a rape culture to the fact that victim blaming is normal in our society. Toxic masculinity gets praised in our society and slut shaming is the norm. And I think that these single sex amplify all those factors. So I guess the main one there is toxic masculinity. And in a society, toxic masculinity is where someone gains social status from three main things. First of all, being like athletically or, you know, physically superior, which is you know a lot of the reason why lots of boys get in fights or why sport is so important and so competitive. And then secondly, being wealthy um, contributes to a rise in social status when you're a man. And then thirdly, having lots of sexual conquest. And I say conquest personally, because that 
is how it's seen when referring to toxic masculinity because it's being done not for intimacy it's being done to brag about basically and when toxic masculinity becomes the mainstream form of masculinity which I argue that it has in our world and especially in Sydney that's when these problems emerge at the same time boys and girls are segregated in education what happens there is we have an environment where the only time that boys and girls see each other is on a weekend when the goal is to have something to talk about on a Monday morning which is very very problematic and then having something to talk about on a Monday morning means that boys get praised for it at the same time girls usually get slut shamed and in turn internalize their victim blaming if what happened to them was sexual assault yeah that that's, that's fascinating that is a fascinating there's so much to lots, lots to unpack <laughs> it, it is it's fascinating and having been a product of one of those schools for 15 years and then gone back and taught there and now looking after the alumni there it's just so epically eye-opening and confronting and something we've got to lean into so i just made a connection to something that i would have never guessed i would have connected but i'm going to just throw it out there jason said to me years ago when we were trying to understand each other's cultures in Portland, Oregon, and we were sitting down having a beer, probably next to a fire pit somewhere, because mm-hmm. that's what we do. He said, you know, actually, we're way ahead of a lot of parts of America when it comes to gay rights, because in Sydney, we're really comfortable with like, we understand what gay means. Like, we're, we're good with that. He says, where I think we're behind is in places where men who are not gay act anything other than hyper-masculine, macho mm-hmm. or alpha or whatever. He says, I don't think a lot of Australians understand what to do with, for example, the sensitive heterosexual man. And I remember thinking, really? And he said, oh yeah, no, that's a problem. Jason, am I missing? No, it's actually right. There is a law in Australia that has just think around gay hate. If if a straight man is approached by a gay man and the straight man feels like he's about to be assaulted by the gay man, the straight man can kill the gay man and that's fine. Have you ever oh. heard of that, Chanel? I haven't. But like, it's yeah. crazy. That There's a theory about what that is in the legal world that I live in. It's long, long dead. It's, it used to be called the gay panic. Oh, that's it. That's exactly it. It's the gay It's the gay. Gay panic defense. It's the gay panic yeah. defense. And it's, oh my God, what if this gay man hits yes. on me? I'll have to kill him. Yes. Which, let's just take a pause and think about that for a minute. Like, what? <laughs> It's yeah. Allowed to kill men who hit on them. Exactly. Yeah. So South Australia becomes the final state to abolish gay panic murder defence, and that was in December 2020. So so you guys might you guys might be a little further behind Uh, in a few places. That's that's interesting. And also, what you're saying about you know being a sensitive heterosexual male like that that is toxic masculinity. The fact that that isn't what makes that's not okay. Right. Yeah, it's not okay, and it doesn't get you societal currency. Where you know someone who is sensitive and caring and all of those things that that should be what our society values but it doesn't allow men to do that and you know that's also there's heaps of mental health implications of that as well toxic masculinity will benefit men just as much as women Mm. you Mm. you said something about this has been such an extraordinary six weeks for me observing my my fellow middle-aged white men dealing with this and there's a lot of interesting re-joke reactions a bit like when we talk about black lives matter and the response is all lives matter in this debate mm-hmm. it's it's not all men because it's a defensive reaction by by men who say well wait a minute not all men sexually assault women and it's just a really interesting defensive technique to kind of sidestep the issue and go oh, not me i think i did that really poorly chanel can you just put more meat on the bones okay all right since you started me you're gonna regret this <laughs> <laughs> the quarter has been put in <laughs> Let it rip. Okay. Let's hear it. 
so here we go. So people say not all men, right? But the problem is, first of all, no one is saying all men sexually assault people. Societal conditions that create this rape culture that is also inherently an imbalance of power amongst the genders, all men benefit from that. And all men and all women are bystanders to this culture unless they are actively not. And also saying not all men means that basically is you're saying you're just being like, okay, I'll engage in this conversation with you as soon as I'm just rid of my guilt, just so you know that like, you know, not me, but then I'll talk about the conversation. Yeah. But I'm sure that I don't think there's a single person on this earth, including myself, that can't say they've never shamed someone, that can't, can say they've, you know, never participated in locker room talk, that can say they've never objectified a woman, can say they've never catcalled someone. All those things lay the foundations of rape culture. And if you're trying to engage in a conversation and then steer the topic away by just saying, you know, but not not all men though like we have to be nice to some men another thing about it that really gets me going is the fact that all a man has to do is not sexually assault someone to be considered a good person the bar is on the floor like <laughs> It's unbelievable. I, I was on a call with um one of the like producers at one of the like big a big media channel in the world, whatever, and they're trying to get me on the show. And I actually actually said I didn't want to go on this specific one because it was very victim focused, and I want to keep my campaign around the whole issue rather than specific victims. And anyway, this this man said to me, this man in a high position of power said, "Yeah, I know so, some some men are bad, but also some men are champions." Um. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually asked my wife before we got this started. I said, you know, Jason and I are used to doing serious topics and laughing a lot throughout them. And I'm thinking, how the hell are we going to do that? <laughs> but we just did that, which was kind of awesome. I guess it can it can happen. <laughs> but it drove this question for you, which is you're dealing with a really important issue here to address. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also really difficult and heavy. I mean, how do you lighten the load? Because you've got to bear hearing all these painful stories. I mean, if you're going to champion this you're necessarily going to hear all of it what what, how do you balance it out uh, I'm not gonna lie, like I've definitely had my fair share of mental breakdowns over the last six months. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sure. Um, and yeah, I started to experience like I think I can't remember what it's called, I, um, like secondhand trauma kind of from like mm-hmm. accounts and whether that comes out in like a little bit of anxiety or things like that, or just like I'll be doing an action and then get like a really vivid image of a testimony I've read or spoken to someone about. Um, I've managed that a lot better now, now that the testimonies have been put on my website instead of on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because my Instagram I was trying to do everything at once you know I was trying to get people to sign a petition I was trying to post the stories I was trying to do all these things and then every second I'm just reading these stories whereas now it's side and I can opt in or opt out of that when I'm ready to like in a mind space for it. It's really amazing how many people feel like they can open up to me. I live in London but sometimes I run into Australians and they'll tell me their sexual assault story and I'm so 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 glad they're talking about it but it is so heavy and it it is hard. I kind of have to learn to switch off but then I feel so bad that I'm switching off about something so Mm -hmm. um, serious but I guess for it to be sustainable that's what's gotta happen yeah i've often wondered when i talk to emergency room physicians for example in my work i'll ask them a similar question Mm -hmm. and they'll say things like oh you wouldn't believe the gallows humor in the emergency room like it's just you know it's bad because (laughs) there's no other way to get through a day all you do is see disaster all day and so i I want but you're also helping right they're also fixing yeah and you're also listening to people you're also helping move something forward i'm sure people feel a little healed after they talk to you it's really powerful stuff it's just but you if you have any empathy at all you're absorbing some of that that's just the way it is that's just how it is 
Have you got yeah. a group around you, Chanel? Do you have a group around you or you bring... As I said before, and as I said, I'm not sure if you can hear them because they're... Yeah. Those, those, pe- those, those people of the group? <laughs> <laughs> it's outside right now. We might need to revisit that. <laughs> it's nice to, know, nice to know that you don't have a dour crew. Yeah, I know that's right. It's like, party! Yeah. We're having, we're having fun in London lockdown. Don't you worry. Um, good, good, good. <laughs> Lockdown together. Yeah. yeah. No choice to live with so many of us. I have a very good support system both over here and in Sydney. And I have friends and I have people helping me with the testimonies. And I have a pro bono committee of professionals in different fields and different academic fields to advise me and help me make this sustainable and long term. So, right. Yeah, and also I think the, I keep saying like, oh, the media's chilled out and it's been six weeks now and they still haven't. But mm. not that I want them to chill out. I want it to still be spoken about. The media is like the most demanding thing and with the time zones, that's what mm. keeps me up the latest. And, mm-hmm. um, so now that it's more, yeah, scheduled things and kind of strategy planning and meeting with MPs and meeting with, yeah, members of, like different members of parliament from around Australia, that's a lot more sustainable. Right. And I saw you went to your first school to do a tour. Yeah. That was yeah, exciting. I went to a um, British boarding school for two nights. It was so cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. And wow. it's a really candid conversation, actually. So um, using like a few of my resources, my friend, and then using his own resources, put together like a slide pack and then one for the girls and the boys and gave a talk on consent to them. And then I came into the boarding house at night and had like a really candid conversation with the girls, which was really nice. So we just spoke to the um, different year group levels and was basically just like, you know, I'm here. I don't have a du- like a legal duty of care for any of you, mm. so you can me anything right right. which is really powerful such a powerful position i don't have to i don't like the same way they if they ask a teacher a question or told a teacher something they might have to initiate a report right right can i ask quickly just i'm so curious about your research your studies so if you've zeroed in on a particular question is it this question is it is it male uh, toxic masculinity in Australia? What, what question are you driving into for your master's? So for my dissertation, so in my master's, I do a variety of topics and then my dissertation. So the because I'm studying in the UK and my degree is mainly about low-income countries, the dissertation is confined to either a low-income country or how the UK interacts with a low-income country. Oh, okay. But mm-hmm. I got permission to do how Australia interacts with a low-income country. Great. So... The dissertation I'm doing is basically it's using this um, new framework for gendered education called dispersal, which is basically about how everything is just super ironic and hypocritical in the world we live in today. Like you can't do it, you can't you can't perform anything feminist without in some way oppressing someone. Basically, the way things go, uh, uh, and right. uh, um, and it's also got like whole like capitalism stuff as well. Like you know, buying a T-shirt that says "I'm a feminist," but the person who made it got paid. Like, right. like that that type of vibe. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So the specific question I'm doing for my dissertation is around the topic of I'm going to focus in on probably about three single sex schools in Australia. I was Sydney. Mm-hmm. I probably choose one of my, my old school and other schools around and interview old girls who went through that education system. And, you know, the private girls schools in Sydney I'm talking about right now are some of the most prestigious institutions in the world with you know apparently the best education that money can buy and i will investigate like their experiences of sexual assault and their education regarding consent and 
healthy intimacy and all of those things. And then at the same time, investigate how the school promotes empowering girls in low income countries. It's just kind of ironic how we raise money and like, you know, it'd be like, oh, we need to send these girls to school in these countries because things are so bad for them. And we need to help them. And it's our responsibility. Right. And they love to tell everyone that they're helping them and do all those things, get the girls right in front of them and not being empowered because mm. of their reputation. That's fascinating. On this show, we like to ask, is there any myth about what you've studied that you'd like to debunk? Is there something you'd like to say? A lot of people believe this, but I don't see evidence that it's true or whatever. Take it wherever you'd like. So there's lots of options here. <laughs> there is. We've got three hours, <laughs> I'm going to say um, high level. So the myth I'm going to debunk is that, and this is a big call and I understand that, that rape is unacceptable in our society. I don't think that's true. I think mm, that yeah. there are certain types of rapists that are unacceptable in our society. Those type of rapists are a sadistic rapist, someone who, you know, gets pleasure out of killing people, the type of people that Netflix documentaries are made about. An angry rapist, someone who has like intergenerational trauma and has witnessed maternal figures in their life either be abused or had abuse by them. And they take this frustration out by sexually assaulting women. And compensatory rapists who usually have been abused themselves feel insecure in their lives and commit sexual assault as kind of the only way of getting um, mm -hmm. Those type of rapists are not socially acceptable in our lives. However, those type of rapists are also really rare. The type of rapist that is not rare is what I've called the entitled opportunist or most like research calls them the opportunistic rapist. Mm. And this type of rapist, just by being like pretty much a man in our society and especially in a high income country, you have a level of entitlement that is kind of incomprehensible for anyone else who's not pretty much a <laughs> man in a high income society. And that type of rapist isn't a bad person. They don't have intergenerational trauma that needs to be addressed. Just in that moment when they're in a sexual situation and the person in front of them is clearly uncomfortable and doesn't want to be in that situation, they don't show enough empathy towards the situation and their sexual desires um, are more important to them in that moment than the person in front of them. And that's mm -hmm. what makes it really confusing for the victims of these people because... Is it like a boys will be boys thing? The, the boys will be boys mindset is the type of thing that contributes to this. But boys will be boys, they continue to do these things because they're not being held accountable for their actions. And we right. can stop telling, excusing things by being like, oh, you know, like boys just, you know, have really high sex drives and that's why they do these things. It's like, well, no, it doesn't matter what, like they need to start thinking about the person in front of them. That's what the vast majority of testimonies on my site are, almost all of them. Kind um, from people who are not like they, they don't need to go to jail to you know mm. rehabilitate and then be let out in society and they don't need to be ostracized from society they can function as normal people they need to be taught empathy and they need to be taught to lose their entitlement and that the person's feelings in front of them, the person who's in front of them feelings are you know valid as their own sexual desires and the thing is in our society because of this toxic masculinity thing the type of people who are most entitled are also most likely to succeed because mm -hmm. you know loud wealthy men with high demands and you know low empathy are the ones who make it to the top and that's why rape is acceptable in our society people we've just mastered under this banner of the three type of rapists that are actually insanely rare well i have some support for your argument that rape is tolerated in this society uh from the american perspective because this came out today and i was really surprised that it came out today but it says minnesota man can't be charged with felony rape because the woman chose to drink beforehand court rules whoa I which that. strikes me as about 50 years ago, but for whatever reason, that just happened. And get this, it is a unanimous decision wow. on the part of the court, which is a little interesting to me because what I thought was, you know, being in the 
the legal world, I thought, well, it certainly makes sense that that's an argument that could be made in court that may or may not affect a judgment or may or may not affect a, a ruling. But the idea that is a preemptive step that the court would just say, look, if, if somebody's choosing to drink alcohol in advance of one of these events, that that I find that absolutely shocking. <laughs> Really like a- at the same time, doesn't surprise me because that's what everyone says. When someone comes mm. forward with their sexual assault story, yeah. once yeah. is how drunk were you? It's like, it doesn't matter how drunk I was. The law says if you're drunk, you can't give consent. Yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird, right? I, I mean, yeah. that, like, you, you could you could be pretty well hammered and still put up your hand and say, that's enough, pal. I mean, like, there, that is, that strikes at the heart of what you're saying, which yeah. is, why would we do that? doesn't seem like that's really helping. You're right that, that there's no doubt that more empathy and less selfishness would improve this a lot, but that, that there isn't probably as much motivation as we need in that area. And that that's something I'm really curious about. You know, how can we actually create motivation for people to get smarter about this? Obviously, one way is through punitive steps. <laughs> yeah, but it is fascinating. This could and should be something that really messes up your life. It destroys lives. And it's fascinating the idea of teaching empathy. It's like, oh, that's a whole PhD in and of itself. Is empathy teachable? Like, what, how, did, how does empathy develop? Do you want my two cents on that? Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. We're, bringing, we're, we're, getting, we're getting wide here. Gendered norms. We grow girls up to be empathetic, submissive, passive. Girls are taught, oh, you'd make such a good teacher. You'd make such a good nurse. You're so caring. We're always taught to do things. We're told to do house tasks, all these things. Those, you know, those gendered norms that are imposed on girls from day one, the same gender norm, the same time that boys get the set tape, type of gender norms that say boys will be boys oh boys mature later oh he's being mean to you because he has a crush on you oh it's okay you can be loud and go play that that we create this gap in empathy from the way we Mm. bring up people people are people we treat girls and boys so differently and the largest difference between them is the empathy gap i I actually laughed out loud when Mm. i saw Scott Morrison had an empathy coach. I'm not. I'm not accusing Scott Morrison of anything. Oh wow! Um, Our prime minister has an empathy coach. <laughs> I'm, I'm not accusing. I'm not saying. But I'm saying the, it does not. It does not surprise me in the slightest that a person who can get to the top position of power in Australia is someone who does not have adequate empathy. I don't think there would be many females in the world who have an empathy coach, even if they have done what they need to do to mm-hmm. you know, perform in a man's world to get there, to get to that position. I'm sure that they... But, yeah. You know, the research shows the most successful CEOs have psychopathic tendencies, like clear psychopathic tendencies, which is, I think, psychopathic tendencies is the opposite of what empathy is. And yeah. if you think about successful people in the corporate world, that you st- it starts to make, oh, yeah, that probably yeah. works out. Yeah, because um, you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't care about other people people's emotions and you cut through it and you do what you need to do to get there and you know like whatever (laughs) yeah no right right yeah and it's the same thing as you said a compassionate sensitive straight male like cops societal like they don't they don't get far in our society and that's so Mm. wrong because those are the type of people that should be in power compassionate people it's funny and when you do see an empathetic male ceo do something the world's like oh my gosh i know like on the floor yeah it's like oh he offers you know paid maternity leave what a legend i'm like oh my god yeah yeah i I, part of the problem with all this from what i've seen is just black and white thinking getting in the way Mm. everybody wants to be able to just make it easy and say men are this way and women are this way it's just i wonder how much of this is just about trying to get a little more sophistication into understanding people generally it all comes healthy intimacy it all comes down mm-hmm. to teaching people how to interact with people just as human beings as well yes. as they can and if we attack that 
Sorry, if we right. do that, it will help so many societal issues. That's mm, true. Right. Let's let's take each human as they are and work with it. So that's really powerful stuff. And the work you're doing is just amazing. It, it is very very powerful. It is. It really is. Um, can I, as we wrap up, what can our listeners do to advance the movement? You've got your new website, which is teachersconsent.com. Is that somewhere to go to, or what? what yeah, teachersconsent.com. If you want to see, read some testimonies. Um, if you want to sign my petition, even if you're not from Australia, you can still sign this petition. Um, you know, if you read the testimonies and see that there's a clear problem here and you think education is a way to move forward from it um and also actually jason you asked me a question before that i didn't get to answer you said is this just a sydney problem and, oh good one yes uh, yes and no it is not just a sydney problem it is a worldwide problem rape culture is in every institution every like every level every country however the reason i you know well, obviously australia is my context but australia has the resources to change that and australia prides itself mm. of being a country that is you know gender equal and it's not and we need to expose that and in terms of asking the listeners like what they can do to advance the movement just keep you know what's just been so apparent to me <laughs> is the more people who speak up the more people will speak up and mm. victims have been powerless for forever up until now whereas we actually have so much power right now as a collective as individuals mm. you know it's we, we hold all the secrets like we're speaking up anonymously to create a movement but and there would be a literal like there would be i couldn't even imagine if people started pointing fingers there would be chaos right. in the world you know people mm. close to you have done these sort of things or that it's happened to these sort of like to everyone close to you but just keep being loud like keep mm. demanding change because it's something that affects all of us and, and we have we have power for once awesome yeah thank you so much for your time so good. tonight on a saturday night in london um <laughs> we really so appreciate much. your time thank no, you absolutely no it's great bye, chanel. i really enjoyed talking to you bye thanks chanel. bye, bye. joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Knight. Catch you next time.